Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. It's okay to not be okay right now, but can you also mentally be okay with not being okay? Look, I'd be very open to getting COVID right now if it meant that the pandemic ended and we could move on to this new phase of our lives, whatever the heck that means. If that's the way out, then give it to me. The end of 2021 and the start of 2022 has been pretty confusing for most Aussies, who are now trying to figure out whether we should continue the fight against COVID-19 and all its variants, or just give up and deal with the potential consequences of that. Today, we take a look at what the hell we do now that it seems Omicron has been unleashed on the majority of the country's population, what steps we need to take to keep ourselves safe, and how we deal with the anxiety and stress that comes along with it. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. For the most part, Australians have been pretty accommodating where it's come to following directives to keep everyone safe from COVID-19. We've social distanced, worn masks, got tested, stayed in our homes, we've sanitised, cancelled plans, had businesses go under, all in the name of public health and safety. But what on earth do we do now? Now that COVID is almost everywhere and case numbers are rising rapidly, with seemingly no ability for our health systems, whether that be testing or the hospitals, to keep on top of it all. Over the Christmas New Year break, COVID numbers went through the roof in some states and territories, compared to the relatively low numbers experienced before borders reopened. I personally went to South Australia to find my friends and family in a state of panic as case numbers rose, many cancelled plans or changed them to stay at home off their own back. Even Western Australia, still cut off with their hard border, had a couple of cases that saw mask mandates brought back in. We were told to get tested before we travelled, after we arrived, six days after arrival, 13 days after arrival. On top of those attending clinics suffering actual symptoms and close contacts, it sent the testing system into a complete meltdown in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia and Tasmania. Up in Queensland, ABC radio host Kat Davidson has been trying to navigate long testing queues with her daughter, who's returned two positive rat tests, and says Queenslanders were prepared, but also not prepared at all for the arrival of COVID at Christmas. We knew when the borders opened that COVID would come with it, simply because the movement of humans 
So I think we were expecting that. Perhaps what we weren't expecting is how unprepared the government were for the onslaught because we've had testing lines blow out where no one can get a rapid test. So I think it's more, okay, we were expecting it was coming, but we sort of thought that perhaps you guys were braced and that doesn't seem to be the case. What about that testing scenario? Have you gone and waited in a queue? What were you told when you arrived at testing stations about the influx of people? The communication's been really patchy at best. I think that's a lot of the problem because we're already scared, particularly if you're fronting up at a testing centre, particularly if you've got a child in tow, you're already worried. You know, there's a reason that you're there, you're thinking of worst case scenarios or whatever it is. So you're not in a particularly positive health space anyway. So often when people are arriving, and as the case with us at testing facilities, there is no information. So twice we arrived at drive-in places waited in the queue and then found out through other means, through Facebook or through someone hearing me on the radio and contacting the station saying, hey, I think that one's actually closed. So the websites were incorrect. There was no way of getting the right information. Not only was there the sense of, well, how do I get this done? Where is the clear information? But the sense that even if I'm standing in a queue, this may not get done. So that's a you know, scary headspace to be in dealing with a child and you're trying to keep them calm. You, as a parent, want to be able to say, even though this is scary, babe, we've got this. This is what's going to happen, you know, ABC. But at the moment, we're kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe we're waiting in the car for two hours. Maybe we're just hanging out here. It's, yeah, it feels like someone should have the answers. Now, there's going to be a lot of parents who listen to this who are worried about their kids getting COVID and your daughter has returned positive rat tests, but is still waiting on PCR results. How have you handled that at home, knowing that your daughter will potentially or does have COVID? How have you managed the the anxiety and the stress that goes along with that? In terms of managing her anxiety and stress, we've always believed in honesty, but not giving too much of the scary. So we've communicated to her, as is the truth, um, when children get COVID, they tend to get a mild case. So they tend to get a cold, sometimes as bad as a flu, but it's manageable. For kids, this is not a life and death situation. And we've said that to her from the beginning because, of course, she sees the news, she hears conversations. So when she tested positive on the two rat tests, she got quite frightened. And we just kept saying to her, babe, it's going to be okay. We've got you. We've had colds before. You've seen mama have the flu. This is probably going to suck, but we're going to get through it and you don't have to worry, we've got you, and you can watch as much YouTube as you want and here have another ice cream. So she kind of went, okay, well, mum and dad tend to tell the truth, and then I went into our bedroom and grabbed a pillow and had a little bit of a scream because as much as that should be the truth, I'm a parent with a sick kid with a disease that we don't know much about. So I'm scared. There's just a lizard part of my brain that says, but what if? you know. So I had to kind of manage that. And I also suffer from anxiety at the best of times. So that process of having to manage, well, we're going to be stuck in this house together. I need her to see me calm and I need to find that calm. And that's that's not always easy, you know. And the logical part of me says this is all going to be fine, but three o'clock in the morning logic is different. Down in New South Wales, the State Health Minister Brad Hazard had this uplifting message for everyone who lives there. Bottom line here is that we would expect that pretty well everybody in New South Wales at some point will get Omicron. We're all going to get Omicron. On top of being basically guaranteed that everyone will get it, we were told Omicron was less severe. 
We were advised to stop thinking about those daily case numbers and look at hospitalisations and those in the ICU. But hospital numbers are rising, as is the death toll. Now we're being asked to back off of getting PCR tests and instead get rapid antigen tests, despite supply being sold out around the country. Access to those tests is now limited to those who can A, find them, and B, then be able to afford them as price gouging takes over, rats going from around $10 a test to anywhere up to $50 and beyond. Despite calls for the government to make the tests free for all, the Prime Minister told us that the government has spent billions of dollars on this pandemic already, and they can't just keep throwing money at it. We're at another stage of this pandemic now where we just can't go around and make everything free. While Queensland authorities were telling people to stay at home, Victorian and New South Wales hospitals were telling people to stay away from emergency departments, South Australia's government was telling everyone to remain calm and that their health systems were more than able to cope. Meanwhile, ambulances were queued up in hospital car parks around Adelaide. In Sydney, GP, science communicator, TV host, author and podcaster Dr Brad Mackay says, understandably, his patients, friends and family are confused and scared, but mostly confused. At this point of time, there's a variety of different attitudes and fears and confusion going on across the board. We've sort of gone through a phase where everybody was just getting COVID. So all of my friends, a lot of my patients were all contacting me and saying, oh my God, I've got a positive PCR test or I've got a positive rat test. What do I do? We're sort of estimating that in Sydney itself, maybe like one in 10 people, maybe even more, will be having COVID over this period of time. It's just escalated dramatically. I think a lot of people are confused by whether they need to stay at home. How do they get a test? Where do they get a rat test from? Are there any supplies anywhere? If they need time off work, what does that mean? And this seems to be moving pretty fast with the government guidelines and businesses are also trying to keep up with what the criteria is. Whether they're a close contact or not, all of that criteria has changed too. So I think on the street, it's pretty quiet. I always say that people are either in hibernation, they're on holiday in their holiday house, or they're in hospital with COVID. So there's a few reasons why people may not be at the beach at this time of the year. Do you feel a shift in responsibility for COVID now? It feels very much like it's all on me, the individual, to take responsibility for my actions and how I cope with the system now. Is that the sense that you're getting? And if that is the case... How do I navigate this now as a patient? If I test positive for COVID or I feel like I might have it, if I've got symptoms, what the hell do I do now? Certainly there's a feeling that the government has said, oh, well, enough people are vaccinated, so go for it. You're on your own. Do whatever you like. And yeah, there is a lot of talk about personal responsibility, but we really don't have the resources to have that personal responsibility. So if we're wanting to be responsible for our own health, then we need to be able to do tests. So we need to have shorter lines if we're trying to do a PCR test. We're needing to have rat tests available to us so we can make informed decisions. But at the moment, as a government, you can't say it's your responsibility, but not give us any ability to be informed and not advise people how to behave responsibly responsibly as well. So it does seem a bit like the Wild West. We're really not following the health advice in Australia at the moment. We seem to be wanting to kick the economy into gear, but there is a problem. If we're not really guaranteed that we're not going to be giving COVID to all of our friends or relatives, then we can't really get the economy going. We've got to have some security. We've got to have that understanding and knowledge that we're safe. But otherwise, yeah, the money isn't going to flow into the nation when people are petrified. What advice do you give to people who 
have symptoms or who have tested positive, whether that's via PCR or RAT, how do we then manage COVID ourselves if we don't want to end up in hospital, if we want to make sure we protect those around us who might be vulnerable? What advice are you giving to people now? Is it the same old isolating and those kinds of things? Is it still trying to keep that same system running even if we don't have the government back up? Yeah, so if you've got symptoms, then yeah, like we are encouraging people to get a PCR test, but the queues are really long and we don't really want people who are feeling faint and very unwell going and standing in a queue for a long period of time. So if you are getting even mild symptoms and they're early, then yeah, try and get a PCR test. If you can't, then look for a rat test and hopefully we'll have more available in the coming weeks because the shelves are bare at the moment. But yeah, like if you are turning up positive or you're, you're highly suspicious that you might have COVID and can't get a test, then we are advising people to isolate at home. And I would advise people to make contact with their GP, so make an appointment via telehealth. There are a number of different services where you can access a GP if your GP isn't available as well. And just sort of run through it. There is basic advice that we'll be able to talk to you about. We may need to provide medication that's not just paracetamol or ibuprofen. We might need to look at other options for you. And yeah, like we can also give you hints and tips on what to look out for and what might be a good way to sort of document your symptoms over time so we know if you're needing to get further help or not. Now, if we are dealing with COVID ourselves and at home with as much help as we can get at this point, the majority of us should be fine, right? Because we are vaccinated and many people have already got their boosters as well. So the majority of people who are catching COVID right now are dealing with mild symptoms. Is that right? Yeah, so at this point of time, the vast majority of people getting COVID, um, whether it's Omicron or Delta, are still getting mild symptoms. But you're going to have a number of people who are incredibly unwell from it. So previously, for example, if we had a thousand cases and 20% of those people ended up in hospital, then yeah, like you'd have like 200 people going into hospital. At the moment, if we have, for example, 50,000 cases in Australia and 10% of those people go into hospital, that's going to be about 5,000 people going into hospital. So it's basically a numbers game at the moment. And I think a lot of people don't realize that even if Omicron variant is a milder variant, if you have a lot more people getting sick, you're going to still have a lot more people ending up in hospital. At what point, if we are dealing with this at home ourselves, at what point should we be worried enough to call an ambulance or to go to hospital at this stage? If you're having a sudden deterioration in your breathing, if you're unable to speak in sentences and taking shorter breaths, if you're getting a lot of chest pain, if there's a lot of pain somewhere else in your body, and if you're getting really high fevers and yeah, like getting worse as the days or hours are progressing, then certainly consider getting health advice or yeah, if you're in dire straits, then call triple zero. Now you might be asking yourself, How do I manage all this expectation that I'm now the one in charge of keeping everyone around me safe, including myself? That's a lot of pressure. Dr Betty Chikuti is a registered psychologist based in Melbourne and a director for the Australian Association of Psychologists. She says in Victoria, where people have arguably done the most to keep Australians safe from COVID during long and stressful lockdowns in 2020 and 21, people are still struggling with the current situation. 
I am noticing how beyond exhausted I am. You know, what people are saying is they're just really trying to meet the challenges of government and your new requirements, new regulations. And there's a lot of confusion around, you know, what is it we have to do to remain compliant? And it makes it really hard for people. So, yeah, a lot of people are really frustrated because they're, you know, finally organising their events and then there's these last-minute cancellations because someone's got COVID and they need to isolate. And in Melbourne, we have huge bursts of COVID cases in the 20s year group. So, yeah, my two children, for example, are in their 20s. They've both got COVID. And, you know, every single friend of mine has got a child with COVID. When you get a sense of the vibe, past the confusion about government recommendations, how are they feeling about rising numbers? Because I was in South Australia over Christmas and the panic there was intense. People were really scared and freaking out. Melbourne's been through this time and time again with rising case numbers. Is there a sense of they're like, you know what, we're over talking about case numbers, we're over dealing with it, or are people still really panicked by it? There are two distinct groups. The vast majority have adapted, let's call it, or just become conditioned and used to the fact that COVID's here, we need to live with COVID, it emerges in different ways, and people are not alarmed in the vast majority of cases. There are still that group of people, and that is, you know, well within their rights to experience this, they're terrified, and they are not socialising, they're not leaving their homes. But the vast majority of people are, you know, whilst they're complying, they're not terrified, they're not afraid. They're taking sensible measures to stay in ISO and, you know, do things to improve their immunity, but like better health, better quality food and some exercise. But the terror and the fear that we had back in, you know, beginning of 2020, myself included, I locked down before government asked us to lock down because I thought it was, you know, this incredibly dangerous disease, what was going to happen. But as we've learned more, you know, we've seen people be able to cope and deal with it. So, Victorians are well-versed with dealing with that. So the people that I'm speaking to anyway and my clients, they're not as terrified as they used to be and I can appreciate South Australia's where we were two years ago. Say we do find ourselves in camp panic, how do we keep that under control and should we keep it under control? Because if we're going to panic at any stage in our lives, a pandemic seems like an appropriate time to. But how do we stay on top of that or should we? I think that when you stay focused on the conversation, it's going to increase the sense of anxiety. And whilst we want to be informed about this disease and about the situation, we also don't want to saturate ourselves with it. So it's the only thing that we're looking at. Otherwise, that will just maintain us in a state of anxiety and fear. And then what we also want to do is remember that on some level, this is a health condition or a disease. So what we really want to do under normal circumstances is we would look after our immunity. And that includes the very basics of really good sleep, good quality unprocessed foods, you know, exercise and doing something that's purposeful so that our mind is focused on things that we enjoy. And stress and anxiety is one of the strongest negative impacts on our immunity. So we want to make sure that we reduce the amount of times that we're stressed. And the way I like to phrase it, rather than reducing something, is to increase We need to increase the amounts of times that we are engaged in something that we love or that we enjoy doing. Even when we know there's this condition that we need to deal with, stress won't help our immunity to deal with the disease. What we need to do is actually reduce our body's requirement to deal with anxiety so it can focus on getting our bodies better and healthier in terms of the disease. 
So it can be a hard act to put into place, but that's really what's required in terms of managing stress and then also, you know, finding ways that we can enjoy ourselves. So how you handle stress is really important right now, making sure you have tools that you can bring out in order to confront the reality of Australia in 2022. Kat says sometimes that's just a case of processing everything that's coming at you day by day. I strongly believe that we need to accept that these are scary times and you're going to get scared and you're going to feel anxious and that's normal and you have to let that process run because I don't know about other people but for me it just gets worse if I just pretend it's not happening. So, you know, if you are listening right now and it's happened to you or it's happening or you're worried it's going to happen, there are going to be moments of real fear and that's okay and that's normal and hopefully in a year's time we all look back on this and think how strong we were and how resilient for getting through it. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. If you're gearing up to get back to work this week after the holiday break, ask yourself this question. Should you separate your work wardrobe from your everyday life one? That's what our friends at our sister podcast, What Are You Wearing?, are trying to figure out. There is some research to suggest that the clothes that we wear to work, we psychologically attach work energy to those pieces of clothing. Okay. So even down to the fragrance that we wear. So some people have a work fragrance and then a fragrance that they wear on the weekend mm. so that while they're like chilling for brunch, they're not thinking about that deadline. Because oh, it's like smell, a subconscious yeah, trigger. smell mm. is such a sensory trigger. So when it comes to fashion, I would say that If you work in a space where you can sort of integrate, let's say, real clothes with work clothes, then it's all about a capsule wardrobe. Catch up with Danny and Tam and all things fashion. Just listen to What Are You Wearing on your favourite podcast app now. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.